Hello, this is episode 334 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Reddy. So this episode is going to be on quiet quitting, but I think this whole series is going to end up being on institutions. But before I start that, you know, it's really funny, like, I often feel like I'm working into a vacuum. And sometimes the, the moments where that gets really difficult, I'll get this, like, surprising message into my inbox from somewhere usually very remote, usually from somebody between sort of the ages of kind of 18 and maybe 26, who are in this sort of odd bracket of people who don't have a lot of support in their life for various reasons. They no longer always have family, even if they did, that are willing to to seek help for them. And sometimes maybe the, the situations that they're trying to overcome and understand have a lot to do with their families in some cases, not all cases. And, you know, so I get these out-of-the-blue messages and they're really amazing. So I'm encouraging people yet again that I love to hear from them. Some people fill out a form which comes to my inbox and some people have reached out in the past through Facebook or through Instagram in particular. That kind of age group really like Instagram. So yeah, so find me and connect, because I, I do. Those moments make this really worthwhile, because sometimes you're kind of like, I'm just I'm just talking into a vacuum here, and it, it doesn't do anything. So it's, it's really wonderful to hear that it does, but also to be able to help people who maybe don't feel that they have anywhere to, to voice or to ask simple questions or... To ask for advice, very simple advice, like there, there are many people dotted around the planet of that age group who have gone on to do amazingly and it's really amazing to watch them progress in their studies and go into the career paths that they really want to and yeah, it's it's really quite moving with very, very little engagement and I think sometimes we kind of feel that, that everyone's too busy to bother with us. We all start messages with, you know, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, and I'm sure you're very busy, and I'm sure you're too important. And the reality is that no one's too important, and it doesn't take very much to work your way through and connect with people, which is kind of ironic, because I'm going to talk about connection in this podcast series a lot. There was a quote during the week that we're not whole if we're not connected, and I'm still stewing over that one because for me it's a bit of a double-edged sword and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and sort of chat that out the reality is that I realized that I find it difficult to be really connected especially at the moment and some of that is kind of a hiatus because I've needed to repair my body I had a woman collide with me a couple of weeks ago who started off an old canoeing injury. And so I took a week off the podcast last week because I would have been just wheezing too much to try and do it. So some of it is a bit of self-care. With some of it is also the state of humanity. And there's this concept doing around that I think really sums this up and it's called quiet quitting. It's called, which basically means going in and doing the bare minimum and not being invested in your fellow kind. One of the institutions that I'm going to talk about this in relation to is hospitals. In the last week, I have swallowed a huge amount of content on Florence Nightingale. And that was sparked 
by an incident close to our own family where a family member went into hospital with a very specific need to heal. And during that period, three times a day, someone dropped in a meal tray and someone came in and took away that meal tray untouched for seven days a week, three times a day, for six weeks. And it's this interesting place we're at at the moment where COVID is being used as an excuse for families to not have access to, to hospitals and to find out what's happening. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in relation to, funnily enough, a conversation I ended up sitting beside yesterday in a cafe, and also in relation to Florence Nightingale's book, which she wrote in, bear with me for a second, 1859 Notes on What Nursing Is and What It's Not, which was a really pivotal book. But like, it's fine if you lock the family out of the sick bed, which was part of the conversation taking place beside me yesterday, actually with two English people who are retired from nursing. And they were saying that there were benefits to COVID, that people had gone back to basics. And it is one of the aspects that comes up in Florence Nightingale's theories of what you need to, to help someone to heal and the sort of things you need to get right. But the reality is at the moment, that if your family are not present, nobody manages to work out for six weeks that they lost your false teeth and that you can't actually eat your food. And you come out of hospital with, I'm going to paraphrase as far as lighting it, but basically she said that you should do no damage to people, right? And so somebody went into hospital fit, walking, maybe not as mentally clear as they were in their earlier life, but relatively engaging and came out like an emaciated skeleton with no social engagement. And, and that's, that's quiet quitting. And the part about this that's really difficult is that because certain professionals have come under such a hard time during the pandemic and maybe they feel a lack of gratitude for their part, but a lot of people have checked out. And so if you say have 30 people working in a, in a section of a hospital and only two people are really engaged, and interestingly, part of the, the conversation that I couldn't help overhearing yesterday was that they always sort of said that the patients in the UK love to hear an Irish voice, an Irish nurse, because they knew they would be really well cared for, because there was more compassion present. And it was interesting to hear that said. So if you have two people out of the 30 who are really, really committed to the patients and, and doing what Florence Nightingale did, which I'll extend in a minute, and really showing up and really connecting with people and really caring, and you have 28 colleagues who have quietly checked out and who do the bare minimum and who don't bother to have the continuity that the foreign science Gill talks about in his book, the importance of the continuity, the importance of what happens when you're not there. And you're all getting the same paycheck at the end of the month for, the, for radically different contributions to your fellow human. Who's winning and losing? And the irony is that those 28 people are the ones that are constantly moaning. And those two people in this example, 
are the people who are completely overwhelmed, who feel a little bit like I do right now. They can't cope anymore. And, and that's the reality of where we've got to, because no one does what Florence Nightingale does, did, you know, in, 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 in the 1850s. She was contacted specifically because of the Crimean War, because of the sort of fatalities that were taking place. And she was very interesting in the sense that she was a very educated woman who used statistics and the presentation, actually, she was one of the first people to use infographics to demonstrate to people that more soldiers were afterwards because of the hospital care than were dying on the battlefield. That actually, as time went on, the progression of illness was horrendous. And that, you know, that that had to be changed. And one of the really interesting points that she makes towards even parents is this idea that you feel that all children have to get measles or get whatever infections, that it's inevitable, and that if one of your children gets it, that all of them have to get it. And she devotes a whole burst, huge chunk to ventilation and into ventilation its importance and what it is and isn't. And if everyone had listened to just that chapter on ventilation at the start of the pandemic, we would have been in a very different place. So it's extraordinary to go back and listen to a book from the 1850s and to listen to the basic ideas in it of what is needed for, for care and for the management of a hospital and to realise how far we are removed from that. And to realise that she was one of the people who so pioneered us to have a nursing training and to have a midwifery training. And one of the reasons I went back and read her book was because I had just finished reading part of the Call the Midwife series and I was very interested in that she was a huge part of the instigation to there being that training, to there being the 1902 Midwife Act. That before that there was no formal training. And that there was huge childhood mortality rates and huge mortality rates for mothers. And that it was just kind of a given. It was like a given of, oh, your child might get measles and they will or will not survive. You know, it was this, this sort of very um, callous and uncaring. And this sort of, it's, it's, it's the same undertones of this quiet quitting. It's the like, oh, we only have to do the basics here and... We don't really have to care about that. We don't really have to go beyond that. We don't have to go beyond, you know, what's expected, what's your expected lot here. We don't have to rock the boat. We don't have to question that. When I listen to these books, I listen to the sort of hours that they worked. And yes, it wasn't a picnic. Like, and we hear people continually moan about, you know, their commute to the office. Well, you didn't work all day and all night delivering babies and then get on a bicycle and cycle six miles home. To put this in context, and yet funnily enough, I read a story during the week of a doctor in Italy, in a rural part of Italy, who has started to attend all of his patients on horseback. But there's another layer to the conversation that I overheard yesterday, which is like, you know, Oh, well, we've learned a lot from, from COVID. Like everyone has to book an appointment now and there's no open surgeries. And, you know, th there's, you know, I was thinking when that doctor was riding horseback uh, to his patients, we don't have call-outs anymore from GPs. We don't have call-outs from district nurses for weeks after a child is born. You know, so much has been lost, yet we have so many people seeking employment and so many people seeking a role in society 
but yet we have so much that doesn't happen now. We have so much care that doesn't take place. No one's questioned what we've lost. And we're trying to run hospitals, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five. Because, yeah, because people get sick, you know, to a schedule. And we all know that's ridiculous. We all know that it's ridiculous to wait for x-rays and to wait for lab results because the technicians don't work. We, we know all of these things. And yet we don't have any Florence Nightingales going in and saying, would you look at what you're doing here? Could you, could, you, could you upend this? And in many ways, they would just have to go back and, and, and relate to her text. And I don't love all of her text. It's a little bit like, ironically, the sort of undertones of the conversation I couldn't overhearing yesterday in the cafe. Like, there's, there's a bureaucracy and there's a status and there's a, a kind of a coldness. There's, there's a sense of people mistaking someone being efficient and being dependable with that person being cold and lack and a lack of informing and a lack of education and I can actually see where a lot of the 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 undertones are in the healthcare system of leave your brain outside the door and don't ask me any difficult questions here don't don't expect me to explain anything to you you know I, like you know we're on different levels here I don't have to talk to you Okay, so I can see where a lot of that has come from, and that that filters down through a lot of the work that I do separately in another institution in education. That that borders over and crosses over, particularly to mental health, and people end up in the health service. And so parents find it so comforting that someone will take the time to listen to what's happening for them, and then will take the time to explain to them what is happening and to explain the different outlooks and the different perceptions of the same information that are taking place for everybody. And in that understanding and in that time spent doing that, there is so much support and comfort and a sense of someone to, to lean on. And we all need that support. And maybe that's another type of connection that we have. We, we need someone who we can talk to openly and be all of our, ourselves to and all of our worries and our concerns and not be judged, but similarly not be treated like we're, you know, we don't have a brain, especially if we happen to be a woman. And so there is an undercurrent in Florence Nightingale's work, which I don't like, which is that sense of what is efficiency seeming to be able to be in control and doing your job and being dependable with being somebody who's very closed and who doesn't talk to you and doesn't explain to you what's happening. And that doesn't work for a vast majority of people. Very few people, there is a percentage of personalities who like to check out and have someone else just make decisions for them, but there's not that many of those people. Most people like to understand what is happening. And they like to feel like as if someone is understanding them. But to sum up this, you know, 16 minutes of gibbering by me, the part that is quite despicable is that we've got to a place where there's a hashtag, where it is acceptable in key crucial roles that are a vocation to help other humans, that it is acceptable to quietly quit. For you not to bother with people that you're supposed to be caring for and that you're being paid to care for, 
but you also don't have to bother with your colleagues who you expect to pick up that slack for you. You just expect it to be somebody else's problem. You expect it to be someone else's problem to notice that a patient hasn't touched their meal tray for six weeks, that you carried it out of that room every day and you expected that to be somebody else's problem. That's where we've got to in a modern society. And that's, that's in the best case scenario with healthcare, there's no lack of money, there's no lack of provision, there's, there's no lack in that conversation apart from your lack of care. 